Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, cloroxhealthcare.com, and learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. Today we have joining us our special guest, James Boone, and he is here to discuss Clostridiotes difficile, also known as C. diff, C. difficile, and CDI, in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Welcome to the program, James. Thank you so much, Nancy. And many thanks to the CDF Foundation and, and yourself for the opportunity to speak today. Well, we're just so glad that you were able to, you know, find time in your busy schedule to join us today. And James, at this time, would you take a moment and introduce yourself to our global listeners? Sure, Nancy. So I've been a scientist for Tech Lab, uh, which is a medical diagnostic company, for about 30 years, uh, working in the area of gastrointestinal diseases and currently serve as the uh, Director of Collaborative Studies. Uh, my mentors, Drs. Wilkins and Lyerly, founders of Tech Lab, were involved in some of the earlier research that actually contributed to the discovery of Cetacil as a cause of antibiotic-associated diarrhea. Uh, my primary focus in research over the years has been identifying and evaluating microbiomarkers uh, uh, bi- of GI diseases such as Cetacil and inflammatory bowel disease. Well, thank you so much, James, for the introduction, and we are so glad that you uh, have an expertise in this area. And James, can you provide a description of inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, and C. difficile disease, which we know as CDI, and detail the clinical presentations that overlap between these two diseases? Sure. Good question. So inflammatory bowel disease is a chronic autoimmune disease. And the exact pathogenesis remains unknown, but currently it's believed that genetic, environmental, and gut microbiome all play a role in disease progression. You got to remember that IBD is a lifelong disease with periods of remission and activity. Ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease are the two primary disease subgroups of inflammatory bowel disease. They're very different. Ulcerative colitis is restricted to the colon. And Crohn's disease may, be, may involve the entire GI tract with extraintestinal symptoms such as a skin rash. There are other uh, um, presentations, indeterminate colitis and ulcer- uh, ulcerative colitis like Crohn's disease. Um, these are less common and may complicate the diagnosis. It's worth noting that IBD is very different from irritable bowel syndrome. Many times people confuse the two. Uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, is non-inflammatory intestinal neuromuscular syndrome, also known as spastic uh, colon. Diarrhea-predominant IBS may mimic a flare of IBD. It's estimated that about 3 million people suffer with IBD in North America alone, with increasing rates worldwide. To complicate things further, there are about 30 million people with irritable bowel syndrome. And IBD patients may even experience IBS episodes during their lifelong disease. So let's switch to C. difficile. 
CDPCL is responsible for just under a half a million cases in this country alone each year and close to 30,000 deaths. In the U.S., hospitals and medical centers, um, CDPCL infection causes infections causes more infections than methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, uh, MRSA, and vancomycin-resistant Enterococcus VRE. Risk factors include older age, say greater than 65 years, recent antibiotic use, frequent and prolonged hospitalizations, uh, long, being uh, in long-term care facilities and nursing homes, and comorbid disease like IBD. To make matters even worse, community-acquired CDI has increased significantly in the past decade. And it's interesting, it involves a younger population, and many of these cases don't even have a recent antibiotic exposure in their history. So it's um, really a mystery at this point. So what causes the disease, this pathogen? Well, disease uh, occurs when the normal flora becomes disrupted, allowing C. diff to establish and grow in the colon. And C. difficile is a spore-forming gram-positive anaerobic bacillus that produces two key toxins, A, which is enterotoxin, B, which is a cytotoxin. They interact with the colonic mucosa, causing intestinal inflammation, tissue damage, and diarrhea. The clinical presentation of IBD and, uh, and uh, CDI, CDS, overlap and require a differential diagnosis. Some of the overlapping symptoms for these patients would be fever, abdominal pain, diarrhea, inflammation, blood in the stool. And since IBD patients experience multiple symptomatic flares over a lifetime, it is an ongoing challenge to determine the cause for the disease activity. Is it a flare of IBD? Or is it a C. diff infection? Herein lies the the clinical conundrum. Thank you so much, James. And yes, it is a challenge. Absolutely. Thank you so much for providing all that information. And James, would you explain to our global listeners how IBD is diagnosed? Sure. So, you know, like we said, IBD is, is mainly first diagnosed in young adults, they range 17 to 35 years of age. And the routine diagnosis may include and often includes a combination of clinical assessments, ruling out enteric infections, uh, stool and blood biomarkers of inflammation, colonoscopy with biopsy and histology to look to see exactly uh, what type of inflammation is, is occurring, imaging like MRI and CT scan, and even sometimes capsule endoscopy, which is pretty cool, like a pill can. So it's about a pill-sized device that patients swallow. And it has cameras which click thousands of pictures as it descends down through the GI tract. Any or all of these may be required to diagnose inflammatory bowel disease. Sometimes the diagnosis can take, um, you know, years to uh, fully diagnose. We believe that it's very complicated. Um, James, what is the difference between being colonized with C. difficile versus suffering with C. difficile disease? Yeah, so Nancy, this is a really good question and it's loaded too because it's one that many clinicians battle with on uh, with patients. So, you know, patients can have either C. diff disease or they can be colonized with pathogenic, toxigenic C. diff. And some people carry toxigenic C. diff around in the normal flora. So 
So they would be bacterial culture positive for toxigenic isolates. They'd be PCR positive for toxin genes. They usually have lower counts of C. diff when they're colonized, say around 10 to the 2, 10 to the 3 per gram uh, in most cases, and no toxin is produced. Um, For some reason, C. diff still is able to colonize the gut but does not cause disease. Now, even though they may not have symptoms in this situation, they can have other situations, other things that that, uh, cause them to have symptoms that, that may overlap with having true C. diff disease. And we know this, too, with healthy babies, which about 50% are colonized with C. difficile. So C. difficile disease, now it has all of those, but it also has detectable toxins. So A and B are produced, um, and, and they cause the, um, the disease symptoms. And usually the counts are much higher, greater than 10 to the 3 per gram of stool. Um, and, and so... You know, this makes it very difficult sometimes to to just to determine who's colonized and is just carrying toxic C. diff and who actually has the disease and needs to be treated. In a study by Clayton and co-authors, it was shown that 8.2% of IBD patients in clinical remission, meaning that they are not having any symptoms, were colonized with, uh, with uh, toxigenic C. difficile compared to 1% of healthy adults. The two presentations, CDI, CDF, and flaring IBD, are complicated by these patients that may just be colonized. And a misdiagnosis could impact the patient outcome with overtreating, resulting in further disruption of the floor and potentially leading to infection. Okay, thank you so much, James. We're coming up on um, three minutes until we pause for a commercial break. Uh, but, James, we want to know is CDI, C. diff infection, Inflammatory like IBD, irritable bowel disease. Yeah, good question. So they both are inflammatory. They both um, are uh, uh, patients are suffering with intestinal inflammation. And biomarkers of intestinal inflammation like fecal lactone are going to be elevated in, in both diseases. So very much so. Um, activated neutrophils are infiltrating the mucosa and uh, causing the, the, some of the tissue damage. And this is, this is the case for both patients who are flaring with IBD and who are suffering with C. diff infection. Okay. And James, before we uh, pause for a commercial, can you briefly explain the differences be in the treatments for CDI and IBD? Sure. So we know C. diff infection is an infection and IBD is an autoimmune. So you know, for, for C. diff infection, of course, antibiotics, uh, fecal microbiota transplant, all may be treatments for, uh, for the disease, where, where in IBD patients, you need strong anti-inflammatory therapies like steroids or biologics, um, like Remicade, a monoclonal antibiotic therapy to um, TNF-alpha, which is a, a cytokine. And these treatments are needed to to tone down the autoimmune reaction and bring the patients into remission. Okay, well, thank you so much, James. And at this time, we're going to pause for our discussion for a commercial break and a word from our sponsor. When we return, we will continue our discussion with James Boone on Clostridioides difficile, also known as CDI, C. diff, and C. difficile in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. (music) 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. And welcome back to the program, everyone. And thanks so much for joining us today. And we're here with our special guest, James Boone, discussing Clostridiotis difficile, also known as CDI, C. difficile, in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Welcome back to the program, James. Thank you so much, Nancy. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. And James, before the commercial break, we were discussing um, being colonized and the difference between C. diff and IBD. And we understand recurrent CDI is a problem. Can you explain to our global listeners just how and how much of a problem it is? Sure. Yeah. So about 15 to 35% of patients will suffer recurrent C. difficile. And Nancy, with each reoccurrence, it goes up. So um, after the third, you, you get 60% chance uh, of reoccurring after a third episode. Uh, most of the time, it, it is the same strain. And the cycle continues. Abnormal flora is a result of antibiotic treatment that predisposes the patients to CDI, uh, CDIP uh, infection, with continued exposure due to frequent visits to the hospital, such as a patient suffering with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and and don't forget that the you know C. diff is spore former, so the spores hang around and and you know they wait to to reinfect their next victim. Absolutely, thanks so much, James. And James, why is it important to accurately determine CDI in IBD patients? And do IBD patients have a worse outcome with the infect infection of a C. difficile infection? Yes, and this is a really an important question. So treatment decisions are needed to optimize therapy, so we know that as far as medical approach. Higher rates of colectomy are observed in ulcerative colitis patients that suffer with C. difficile infection. So it could save a patient's colon with a rapid diagnosis and effective treatment. So it's very important. Anti-inflammatory therapy includes steroids, is a common treatment for a flare of IBD, 
Antibiotics like vancomycin or fidaxomycin are used to treat C. diff infection. Metronidazole is no longer recommended for treatment of moderate to severe cases of, of CDI, but may still be treated for mild. In a recent systematic, uh, systematic review and meta-analysis by Tarek and Khan at the Mayo Clinic, it was concluded the C. diff infection appears to increase the mortality risk in patients with inflammatory bowel disease, most strikingly in patients with ulcerative colitis. So the evidence is very strong for ruling out C. diff in IBD patients experiencing uh, active disease. Thank you so much, James, for sharing that information. Really important. And James, what do the current guidelines say about evaluating C. diff infections in patients with, you know, who currently are diagnosed and have inflammatory bowel disease? Yeah, so current guidelines recommend that inflammatory bowel disease patients be evaluated when they're coming in for a flare and should be screened for C. difficile. For example, the American College of Gastroenterology Guidelines Ulcerative Colitis, published by Rubin and co-authors, and the American College of Gastroenterology Guidelines for Management of Crohn's Disease in Adults, published by Lichtenstein and co-authors, state that flaring patients should be tested for C. difficile infection. The issue, Nancy, is there is no detailed guidance on how to use current diagnostic tests to differentiate the two diseases. No, I guess there aren't, and that'll be a, the a next discussion for the next time. And James, what methods are currently available to differentiate a flare from IBD from a C. difficile infection, and are there any diagnostic text limitations to consider when assessing a CDI in an IBD patient? Yeah, so sure, you've got, um, so the molecular tests that are on the market, they're highly sensitive and excellent screening tools. They, they you know, detect the genes of the toxin C. diff. So uh, when you detect the toxin genes, it tells you that, you know, there's a toxigenic C. diff present and has the potential to produce toxin, but it doesn't tell you if toxin's being produced and if there's true disease. Then you have stool toxin tests by EIA, immunoassays, and they detect actually free toxins, so express toxin. And so you know that the toxidinic C. diff is producing toxin, which is going to damage the mucosa and, and cause uh, tissue, uh, cause inflammation. And you'll have biomarkers like fecal lactoferrin, which will be elevated because it's, it's inflammation. And... This could be used to rule out possible IBS in the case of, say, an IBD patient where you're not sure if it's IBD, IBS, or C. diff, but C. diff and IBD are both inflammatory, so lactoferrin would be elevated. So all of these tests can be used in combination. Some clinics may screen with molecular and follow with a specific EIA for toxin, and some may screen with GDH and follow with an EIA for toxin, and then for GDH, uh, glutamate dehydrogenase, uh, GDH positive toxin negative cases, they they would do uh, reflex to molecular to see whether there uh, is toxigenic um, C. diff present. And for patients that maybe are missed by stool toxin and are positive by PCR, response to treatment may be used. Okay. 
That was a lot of diagnostics there. And thanks so much for sharing that, James. And James, um, this is a really important question. Can a colonoscopy procedure aid in the differentiation of CDI and an IBD flare? Yes, this is a really interesting area. Um, So the colonic appearance for C. difficile infection in IBD patients may be very different compared to patients that only have C. difficile infection. And basically pseudomembranes, uh, yellowish raised plaques, maybe 2 to 10 millimeters overlaying inflamed mucosa are associated with C. diff infection. This finding is observed in about 14 to 25% of mild C. diff infection cases and up to 85% in fulament uh, uh, C. diff uh, cases in the general population. But what's interesting, Nancy, is that only 13% of patients with IBD uh, may ever show any signs of these pseudomembranes. And you've got to remember that with C. diff infection, very rarely is colonoscopy used as a diagnostic um, for these patients. But, but for inflammatory bowel disease, they, when they are, are suspected to have a flare, they may be scoped. This is more common. But pseudomembranes, um, for some reason, just are unlikely. It's not, really known, it's not really known why this is the case. Um, there are certain thoughts that Maybe the mucosa is so damaged from the inflammatory bowel disease that pseudomembranes uh, just do not form, or that the specific cytokine cascades that you see with IBD uh, don't allow them to form, or maybe that the patients, uh, IBD patients that are often on maintenance uh, and on anti-inflammatory therapies uh, may um, keep the pseudomembranes from forming. So more studies are really needed to nail down why, why this difference is observed. Thank you so much, James, for sharing that. And James, are there similarities and or differences in the inflammatory response between a C. diff infection and IBD? So both C. diff infection and IBD both involve activated neutrophils. So like I said, biomarkers like lactoferrin, calprotectin are going to be elevated in the stool of IBD patients. They're going to be elevated in the stool of patients suffering with C. difficile. Um, IBD also has a significant T-cell involvement. Many, many of the biologic therapies uh, for uh, patients in inflammatory bowel disease target the cytokine TNF-alpha, and, and basically these therapies call it, cause a decrease in uh, T-cell counts uh, to sort of bring the inflammation under control. So that's, that's sort of the basic difference between the two. Okay, that's great. And James, we are four minutes from commercial. And would you mind going over the diagnostic testing that would be done for a C. difficile infection, uh, patients who are having symptoms of a C. difficile infection? Yeah, so the diagnostics basically, as I said, a lot of um, what a lot of institutions would do is they, they would they need to know whether toxigenic C. diff is present. So they're going to screen maybe with a molecular and or they may screen with the common antigen, glutamate dehydrogenase um, or GDH, to see whether C. diff is there. Now, if they screen with a molecular test, which tells them that the toxin genes are there, then they need to follow up with um, a toxin EIA 
toxin immunoassay so that they can determine whether uh, there's actual toxin being expressed as in the stool, and that's a good indicator of um, a, a true infection. You don't see uh, as much with C. difficile use of fecal biomarkers, but that, that's probably a, a key element, too, because C. difficile infection is inflammatory. Um, and inflammatory bowel disease, obviously, is inflammatory. So the patient could be screened, and if the uh, lactoferrin is baseline, then that really suggests there's something else going on, potentially irritable bowel syndrome or some other non-inflammatory cause. Okay, James, and that's wonderful information, and thank you so much for sharing all of that today. And at this time, we are going to pause for our discussion for a commercial break and a word from our sponsor. When we return, we will continue discussing the Clostridiotis difficile, also known as CDI, C. diff, C. difficile, in patients with inflammatory bowel disease with our special guest, James Boone. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. If you missed the live broadcast of C. diff spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Handwashing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Handwashing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Well, welcome back to the program, everyone. And we thank you so much for joining us today. We're here with our special guest, James Boone, who's joined us today to discuss Clostridiotes difficile, also known as CDI, C. diff, and C. difficile, in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Welcome back to the program, James. Thank you so much, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're just so glad that you are here and sharing a wealth of information with our global listeners today. And, 
you know, we've discussed the disease characteristics for inflammatory bowel disease and C. difficile infections, along with the importance of distinguishing the two. All right, but James, is there any clinical research offering advances in this area? Yeah, so this is a this is a cool question because um, you know this year there have been several uh, multiple key publications, and and one I'm going to go over um, is one entitled "Low Glutamate Dehydrogenase Levels Are Associated with Colonization in Clostridium Difficile PCR Only Positive Patients with IBD," uh, published in European Journal of Gastroenterology and Hepatology um, by the authors of Desai and Sorrentino and co-authors. And what's really neat about this, with this study is that they looked at 45 symptomatic patients, 28 patients had CDI alone, and then 17 had CDI, CDF infection, and they also had comorbid disease, which was inflammatory bowel disease. And then the novelty, two novel points in this study is, one, they, they measured um, GDH level, and that glutamate dehydrogenase level, and actually um, uh, measured a concentration in the stool uh, indicative of the load of C. diff that was present in these patients. And then also, they were serial sampled. So they were, had a stool sample collected at uh, T0, which was, before, uh, for, which was the sample uh, obtained for diagnosis and before treatment, and then at day three of treatment, and then at uh, day 10. And um, so uh, they were monitoring the, the response to, to therapy. And, and so what, what was observed? So interestingly, the, in the patients uh, that had just C. diff, 80% of them had detectable toxin in their stool by both EIA and cytoneutralization assay, which is the tissue culture neutralization assay for toxin B. It's the most sensitive uh, test we have for detecting toxins in, in stool. And so 80% had free toxin in their stool and 20% were PCR positive only. And Nancy, what's interesting is that in the IBD group that uh, was being uh, tested for C. difficile, only 17% uh, had uh, detectable toxin in their stool. And 83% of these patients um, were PCR only. So they were only detecting the toxigenic C. diff and detecting the genes, but not actual, actual toxin in the stool. So what does this mean? Well, it's very interesting. So, and they also measured fecal lactoferrin. Now, fecal lactoferrin was somewhat similar in both groups. And you've got to remember that these patients are symptomatic. So, in both diseases, C. diff infection and IBD are inflammatory. So, the median lactoferrin for the C. diff group was around 59 micrograms per gram of stool. And in the uh, IBD group, it was 83 micrograms per gram of stool. But what was really interesting is that the median glutamate dehydrogenase level in the CDF-only group was 620 nanograms per gram. But in the IBD group, it was fourfold less. It was 161 nanograms per gram. So much less GDH. Still GDH positive, but much less GDH in the stool. And even further, when the 
when this patients were stratified, whether they were tissue culture uh, cytoneutralization assay positive or negative, the positive cases, which meant there's detectable toxin B in the stool, was 1,011 nanograms per gram, and the cytotoxin neutralization negative patients at 146, and the p-value was significantly different, um, 0.004. So, big difference in the amount of, of GDH. And what what what's that showing? Which is you know, so the first time is that, and it makes sense that you know a higher load of C diff is associated with the presence of of, of toxin and disease, and and so that that's interesting that the IBD group had a much lower load of, of C diff and, um, and indicating that they were more so colonized rather than suffering with, with uh, true C diff disease. Now, remember that they took three time points, T0, 3, and 10. And as you can expect, the lactoferrin dropped um, as patients received treatment. And what's interesting is day three really seemed to be a key day, day three of treatment, for indicating whether they were responding to treatment. So really, with C. difficile-infected patients, patients aren't monitored for, um, you know, for response to therapy. But this this may be something that changes because you definitely, by day three, can see a response if they're if they're uh, if the, the uh, treatment is is working or not. The last note for really nailing down whether these IBD patients had true C diff is that you know that the CDI only group responded to treatment where to antibiotic treatment where the IBD patients didn't, and they responded to their IBD uh, uh, treatment. So. So actually what, what was being seen was that, of course, the CDI patients needed antibiotics and, and that helped resolve their, their symptoms and their disease. And some of those did, uh, 19% of them did even relapse in, this, in the C. diff only group, which, which is not unusual. In the IBD group, there were no relapses because probably they were all colonized, and, um, and they basically responded to their IBD treatment because they had flaring IBD. So this is just a really good study to show and point out the importance of not just relying on a molecular test, but also really looking at um, stool toxin and then also um, potential new diagnostics, um, not just whether GDH is there, but maybe the the amount of GDH as an indication of, uh, of the C. diff load. That's incredible clinical research there. And thank you so much, James, for sharing that, uh, you know, the research with our audience. And James, how can, re- how can current diagnostic tools be used to optimize the diagnosis of C. diff infection in inflammatory bowel disease patients? Yeah, so I think I think just um, you know uh, as the conclusion of, of of the study that that I just described, I think it's really important. You may, I mean, you know, molecular tests are highly sensitive, and so they're excellent for to, to give any idea is there toxigen C diff is is there, um, but you really need to look to see whether there's stool toxin because obviously the stool toxins toxins A and B. Um, they're the they're 
they're causing disease. They're the ones causing inflammation and tissue damage on the mucosa and all the symptoms. And, and so, uh, and, and the disease is inflammatory. So it's also key to, to note that, um, you know, measuring lactoferrin is, is probably another useful biomarker to consider. Now, in the context of uh, CDI and IBD, again, a flaring IBD patient will also have elevated lactoferrin. However, what complicates this is you can have an IBD patient who's suffering with IBS, which you remember we went over, and it's non-inflammatory and is quite common. And, and so if you, if you ran a lactoferrin was baseline, then you would pretty much rule out whether it was a flare or, or C. diff and look for other causes. So um, basically, that's pretty much a combination of molecular and stool toxin and, and biomarkers for intestinal inflammation and uh, patient assessments. Oh, that's pretty much where we're at uh, for um, testing pa- uh, IBD patients for CDI. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that information, James. And James, does fecal microbiota transplant, an FMT, show any promise in the treatment for IBD patients with a C. diff infection? Yeah, so this, the, the whole fecal microbiota transplant story is, is, is really interesting, uh, FMT for short. Um, and it makes sense, right? I mean, C. diff patients, they have a disruptive flora. Uh, for, red, for whatever reason, whether it's it's from antibiotics or from disease, uh, um, other medications, um, and and that niche that's created is what allows C. diff to take hold and cause disease. So if you can replenish that, um, then obviously you can restore the normal flora and, and hopefully cure the disease and prevent additional infections. So uh, Tarek and Connett, the Mayo Clinic again, they, they published a, a recent paper in inflammatory bowel disease, um, and uh, it was the title's Efficacy of FMT for Reoccurrent CDI in IBD. And they looked at 145 IBD patients. Uh, and these patients had a median prior episode of, of CDI uh, of three. So they had, they'd already suffered with um, uh, three episodes. And of these 145, 37% were Crohn's disease patients, 61 uh, were ulcerative colitis, and then 2% were um, indeterminate uh, colitis patients. So what's interesting is that diarrhea resolved in 48 hours for 33% of the patients following one single uh, FMT treatment. Uh, 66% of patients were tested for post-FMT reoccurrent CDI, of which 20% were positive and retreated. Overall cure rate was 80%. So the conclusion, obviously, uh, was FMT is effective for treating CDI in IBD. And this was a real key study because it was not, you know, it was not known whether if you gave FMT to an IBD patient, whether potentially it would cause them to flare with their IBD. And so, it, you know, that, so it was cautious on whether that, that should be done. But actually in the study, um, you know, the, that was not observed. So 
the conclusion was FMT, you know, is effective. And something to keep in mind in this time of COVID is, you know, there's no test for screening, uh, really, or ruling out the, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 in fecal samples routinely. So, so FMT is, is down significantly because you do not want to take a chance of infecting patients with, um, with uh, COVID-19. Exactly. And at this time, James, I thank you for sharing all the information. We are going to um, go ahead and pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue our discussion with Clostridiotis difficile, also known as CDI, C. diff and C. difficile in patients with inflammatory bowel disease with our special guest, James Boone. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. If you missed the live broadcast of C. diff spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Handwashing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Handwashing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. And welcome back to Seed of Spores and More. And we are so glad that you joined us today. And we're here today with our guest, James Boone, who's here discussing Clostridiotis difficile, also known as CDI, C. diff, C. difficile, in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Thank you so much for joining us. And welcome back to the program, James. Thank you so much, Nancy. It's been a pleasure. It has certainly been a pleasure. We're so glad you're here to, you know, to join us and discuss all these important topics and information with our global listeners. And James, it's been such a year, such a turbulent year, and we know that this may 
we know there must be an impact from COVID-19 with the patients with CDI and IBD. Can you take a moment and discuss that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're all all dealing with this pandemic in our our many different ways. And and yeah, for infectious disease, uh, you know, with the improved hygiene and mask wearing for a lot of diseases, the prevalences have gone down. And and that has happened with CDF too. I mean, obviously, if uh, any disease is infectious, uh, that if you can improve the hygiene and, and keep it from spreading that the cases are going to go down. And, and some reports are showing, you know, that some cases have been down quite a bit for multiple infectious diseases like, like C. diff. The other thing is for an inflammatory bowel disease patients, you've got to remember this is not infectious. This is an autoimmune. They have it for life. Um, the pandemic is not going to change whether they get treated or have a flare, and and actually high stress is is correlated to a flare, and we all know how stressful these times have been. So these patients are still needing to be seen, assessed by their gastroenterologist, and not only that, but many of them receive different medications that they have to receive by infusion. So that means they have to go into infusion centers and such. But for patients who are being assessed for flares, one thing that, that's becoming of more interest is, you know, using uh, biomarkers of inflammation like CRP, IBD, sed rate, um, you know, fecal lactoferrin, fecal calprotectin uh, in stool studies to sort of determine uh, whether a patient needs to go to endoscopy examination because, um, you know, decreasing the, 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 the number of procedures, decreasing the times patients come into clinic is, is all important during this time just to decre- decrease the, the chances of spread of SARS-CoV-2. So I'd say that's probably some, some impacts. I'm sure there are many more, but those are some key impacts that, that are being observed uh, this year. Absolutely. And thanks, James. And James, we've reviewed the clinical characteristics of IBD and CDI and the challenges and the diagnosis when they're presenting together. What is the take-home message to our everyday clinician? Yeah, so good question and good, good, good opportunity. You know, flaring IBD patients should be tested for C. difficile as recommended by the guidelines. So that, that's no doubt. And, 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 and that testing is increasing and gastroenterologists are, are observing that. Accurate diagnosis and effective treatment can significantly improve a patient outcome. And remember, it could save that patient's colon. So it's really important. Clinicians should really know what diagnostic test is being used to report the results. Is it molecular? Is it molecular plus an EIA for stool toxin? Um, Because they need to make sure that they have all the right diagnostics and they assess the patient to to help differentiate whether it's true C. diff or if if it's an IBD patient who's flaring and is just colonized with C. diff. So they can get them on the, the right the the uh, right treatment. So that, that's very important. And then there's more research, and and hopefully there'll be better diagnostics offered, um, additional diagnostic tools um, to 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 be able to help with this this um, clinical issue. 
And Nancy, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today on this topic. Very important topic for both clinicians and, and patients. Thank you. Oh, James, you are so welcome. We have five minutes until the uh, close of the show. And at this time, James, maybe you'd like to just go over some uh, takeaway key points of the program for our global listeners, such as the patients and the researchers. Sure, sure. So just keep in mind that the two populations, uh, patients with IBD tend to be younger. Um, and uh, antibiotic exposure uh, is, is less frequent. So uh, other things are causing disruptions in their flora. They're m- more often community onset. So, um, and um, dysbiosis of the microbiome is just persistent in IBD patients because of their lifelong disease. And there's a higher reoccurrence than non-IBD. And then patients without IBD that have C. diff, they tend to be older, as we said, older, you know, 65 and older. Um, antibiotic uh, exposure is very common. Um, most often it's hospital acquired or they're in long-term care or nursing homes. Um, and, and there's a lower reoccurrence um, than compared to patients who uh, have IBD. So the two populations are, are quite, quite different. Yes, they certainly are. And James, at this time, I just want to say thank you. You know, we're so grateful for your time, and thank you for joining us here on C. diff spores and more today. And we're grateful for your expertise and dedication in the diagnostics um, field in healthcare and the support that you offer every community. So at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. To learn more about their products, please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com. And we wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and developing new products to address C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, cdifffoundation.org clinical trials in progress. Help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit the CDF Foundation's website. And also, we want to let everybody know that available today from Apple Store and Google Play is the newly designed and released app. It's called CDIF and You and is available today. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. 